Very good morning. How are you today? Good. Fine. Good. Revelation. Wow, what a book. <laughs> uh, so, I want to invite you, if you're watching from home, I want to invite you as well, and all of us here in this main hall to open your Bibles, switch on your Bible, and Revelation chapter 7, actually chapter 6, the very end of chapter 6, then we go and we will read chapter 7 as well. Revelation. So, we had many series in this church. Do you remember, we had series in Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, and then in the Garden Church, we had uh, 14 parables of Jesus. We had the body of Christ, the church, and we had in the very beginning of the year, Revelation. Now we are back on Revelation. I'm forgetting something? No, no I think, yeah, probably was this. And, and then when we restart Revelation with Ken, was in chapter 4, just to give you some context here, what's happening. So, Revelation chapter 1 is just 20 verses, short chapter, when John the Apostle saw Jesus. And then chapter 2 and 3, you have the seven letters uh, for the seven churches. We have Jesus' message to the seven churches. And then we had chapter 4, when John uh, was invited to come up. A voice came from heaven and said, come here, come up here. And the vision, the scene, the camera changed from earth to, to heaven, and he saw the throne of God. And then we had that beautiful lesson with Ken and videos on, on Facebook. And then we had chapter 5, we were sharing about this last week. Uh, do you remember the book, the scroll with the seven seals when John was weeping because nobody was worthy to open or to look to the scroll? And chapter 5. Today, all this journey just to share with you what are we going to talk about in the next few minutes on chapter, by the end of chapter 6 and chapter 7. Let's pray. Lord, we love your word. And... We believe that there's treasures behind these letters here. Behind these phrases, these sentences, there's powerful treasures. Powerful enough to change our lives, hearts and minds. With the help of your Holy Spirit, we want to receive your word, Lord Jesus, your instructions. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Revelation is the book. Very, very symbolic. Now, if you had a time machine, we could take John or Paul and bring in our days. And can you imagine uh, you, if you just showed to John or Paul one of these symbols that we see in our everyday life and it's very usual, normal for us. In their heads, it's something really strange. For example, that gold arch, like big M, <laughs> the yellow one trying to explain now oh, it's, it's red and yellow and what is that we know what it is when you see i don't know starbucks symbol or nike for us easy and revelations full of the symbols as well so for us sometimes in our western mind and in, in our century in our everyday busy life when we read oh what is that four horses and and four uh, and seven 
eyes, seven horns, it's full of symbols. And in our faith, in Christianity, we have lots of symbols as well. Baptism, it's a symbol. It's not because the water in that tank, you wash away your sins, is the symbol. Or, or the, the supper, uh, it's not that juice or wine, it's not the blood of Jesus, but it's a symbol. We have many symbols in our faith. And Revelation is a book full of these symbols as well. So I want to read with you some parts. And just to let you know, chapter 6. Chapter 6 of, of Revelation. If you remember, last week we talked about seven seals in that scroll. And then uh, the Bible keeps, uh, uh, the text keeps telling us that the Lamb, Jesus, he opened every seal, and then we jump to chapter 6, the opening of these seals. And the first four seals is about four horses, okay? And we have all the colors, white, red, pale, and, and black horses. Every horse with the different meanings, and something happened. And then we have the fifth seal. And then uh, in Revelation chapter 6, talks about when John saw the souls of those who had been slain by the testimony of Jesus Christ. They had been killed by their faith. He saw the souls of them under the altar. They were living under this persecution from the Roman Empire. And there's the fifth. So the sixth one, uh, he saw a huge earthquake. And then before the last seal, there was a break, a pause. And we come to chapter 7. The 144,000. Who are they? Now you know. <laughs> now I'll tell them. Who are those guys? And, and who is the beast of Revelation? Donald Trump? John Biden? Uh, what's the name of the guy from the Microsoft? Oh, uh, Bill Gates. Bill Gates. Bill Gates. <laughs> oh, Tesla guy. What's the name of the guy? Yes. Everybody. Oh, it was the Pope. Who is? And, and then we spend our lives and time trying to figure out and put together all these symbols and numbers and all this. Today, we are going to talk about the 144,000. Ah, but you see, it, it's simple. It's not complicated. So I want to start this part reading chapter 6, verse 15 to 17. And then we are going to chapter 7. Okay? So 6, 15. Just to give a little bit of the context, what is happening. It's amazing to see how uh, is the end of the chapter 6 and how is the end of chapter 7, we'll see. So, chapter 6, verse 15. Then, again, this then, that means there is something before. So, then, the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the might, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called, they called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hid us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can withstand it? Chapter 6 finished with this question. Who can? 
and, and talks about the wrath of the one who sits on the throne, God, and the Lamb. And as a plural, they talk about, oh, they will run away for their wrath. And this is something. There's an amazing teaching here. How can God be the source of mercy and love and grace, but also the source of panic and despair? For some people, it's the worst nightmare to face God. For some of those guys, they don't want to face the God wrath and the Lamb wrath. I don't know about you guys, but it's so difficult to talk about those, this kind of God in our days because we don't like it. Yeah, We like that polite, lovely, and merciful God. And it's true, He is. But you don't like to see this other side of the coin, this other face of God. A God with wrath. A God who kinds of taking revenge. Come on. There is a doctrine in our days, and the name is universalism. And just to make short, uh, this kind of teaching says that, nah, God's so good, so lovely, He has not condemned people. He is not judging people anymore. Uh, I, I saw on Twitter another day uh, one scholar of this kind of uh, teaching. Uh, he wrote, I believe in hell, but is empty. Nobody's going to hell. God, you save everybody in the end. But here, Revelation talks about this princes, mighty, poor, slaves, and powerful men trying to, hit, uh, to, hide, to run away from his wrath. John 3, 16. Ah, come on, you know. The first part is mine. The second part is yours, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave... Amen. So this is our favorite verse in the Bible. It's the central message of the gospel. What's our problem in our generation? We stop there. It's half gospel. We don't keep reading verse 17, 18, 19, or by the end of the chapter, it's the same block. And you know the message at the end of that chapter, in John chapter 3, that conversation, Jesus with Nicodemus, Nicodemus, and in the very end, before Jesus starts the conversation with the lady on the well, the Samaritan lady, in John chapter 4, the very end of the block, in John chapter 3, he finished saying, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath Remains, he remains on him. How can this be? A God full of, in verse 16, full of love, talking about salvation. In the end of the same chapter, talking about a God who uh, wrath remains on them. So what the Bible is saying, there's a specific kind of people who is really afraid of God. And the Revelation chapter 6 finished with this question. Who can stand? And then we start chapter 7. After this, this scene now that we read now. I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Some guys believe that, oh, that's why the planet is flat. No, it's, not, it's just symbolic. Come on, guys. The McDonald's things. Oh, oh. 
Okay, so after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. So this seal is not the seal that we read last week about the books or the scroll. It's another seal. The seal of the living God. He called out in the loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put the seal on the foreheads of the servants of God. Later on, uh, you, you can read this in Ephesians 4, verse 30. Paul talks about this series, the Holy Spirit. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from the all tribes of Israel. And then from, from verse 5, we have a list of these tribes. There's two tribes not here, but okay. We have a list of these tribes, and then we keep reading. Verse 9, okay, let's jump the list because otherwise we'll be forever here reading. 9, okay, and after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. So the first group, he had the number, 144,000 from Israel. The second group is impossible. No one could count. From every nation, so they're not from Israel anymore, from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the land. Yes. You see, he saw two groups of people, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the Church of God in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, and the new people is the church of God, is the people of God in every generation. From Israel was the beginning of everything we know. And also now, from every tribe, language, nobody could count the number. What is this vision? In the end of chapter 6, uh, who can withstand it? And then beginning of chapter 7, there is a people who can stand it. It's the people of God. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Not Jehovah Witness. No worry. It's the people of God. Because Jehovah Witness, they say, we are the 144,000. No. It's the symbol of the people of God in the Old and the New Testament. So, let's read again verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing uh, white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cry out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And now everybody comes together. See, look the scene. Verse 11. All the angels. How many angels? All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, look this question. These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? 
if it was me there, so believers. But John said, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Look this. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will he will lead them to the spring of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. It's amazing. It's amazing. So what kind of teaching do we have here for, for our lives today? First, let's take this question. Who are they? Where does this church come from? The great tribulation. The suffering. You need to remember, Roman Empire, they were killing every Christians or uh, on the cross or in the fire or with animals. Since Nero, the emperor, in the year 54 until the year 68, now have the mission, another crazy, crazy emperor. And the Greek culture and the Roman culture, they had many, many gods. But the Romans, they add something more and different. It's the first time they had a human being and a person to be worshipped as a god was the emperor. So he was the lord. The Greek word that they used for this was Kyrios. He was the lord. And now there's this group of people talking about another lord. Just the only one. Let's kill them. So the Christians, they have been killed from, in many different ways. And now they're coming from the tribulation. When they read this, it makes sense to them. They could understand. Before start the teaching of this, let me just open another bracket here for you. By the end of the service, I will be in that room. What's the name? The first room here? I forgot the name. This one. I will be here if you have more questions about the text. We don't have time to go for every single uh, symbol here. But we will be there. Um, there's many different ways to understand Revelation. I'm not saying, oh, this is sin. You just need to understand in my point of view. No, no, no. There's godly man who believes in a doctrine. We call this doctrine um, pre-tribulationist or the rapture. Maybe you saw this in some film or movie. Uh, there's that guy. What's the name? Nicolas Cage. Uh, left behind the film. This kind of teaching. Uh, or the books. Uh, the author was Tim LaHaye. Tim LaHaye. Uh, and it's very popular this in America and many places and what's the teaching here uh, the teaching is okay Jesus Christ will come back but the God's people oh we are going to heaven first then the great tribulation and then okay you are not going through the great tribulation it's a teaching pre-tribulation is uh, before the tribulation but here in this text is saying they are coming out from the tribulation we believe that if people of God, they go through the tribulation. They face the tribulation. And this uh, rapture, this teaching, um, was uh, beginning with a guy called John Nelson Darby in the 19th century. 
That means before this time, 100-something years, before this, no one in the church, the first reformers, the fathers of the church, the apostles, they had no idea about this teaching, the rapture, or that we are not facing the tribulation. This is something new in the history of the church. And we have just four verses in the Bible giving support for this teaching. So that's why we don't believe in this kind of teaching. Okay, We believe that the church is going to heaven after the great tribulation. Uh, I know... It's not good news, <laughs> I know, uh, and this kind of teaching is very convenient because we don't like to suffer, but it's one teaching of Revelation, and we can dig deeper later with more time. Now, uh, what's happening here? Church has always been persecuted, always. I have news for you. Jesus said in John chapter 15, 18, and 19, Jesus said, hey guys, the word hates me. And you know what? They will hate you as well. If you were part of the world, they would love you. If you agree with their mindset, their behavior, the lifestyle, oh, you, you would be so welcome. But as you are different, the world hates you already. Hates you. I remember Barbara came to me some time ago. One year or more ago talking about some uh, bullying in the school because, oh, because she's Christian and all of these and the other kids. And I said to her, it's part of the package. The word haters, there is no news here. The word hates the church. The devil hates the church. The church always has been persecuted. In, Revelation, in the Revelation Chapter 12, verse 12, easy to memorize, 12, 12, Revelation 12, 12. The Bible says that Satan was a dragon who came to the earth full of fury and anger against the church. And this moment, right now, I'm here speaking to you, sharing this word with you. We have 340 millions of Christians under persecution. More than 53 nations we had all these numbers in the Roman Empire, persecutions in many different stages. But in, in the 20th century, is the highest number of people being murdered and killed by the gospel. This is not only in the Romans days, or the Roman Empire, or old stuff, or school. BBC will not tell you this. 340 millions under persecution, dying Every day because they hate the name of Jesus. The government and some countries hate the name of Jesus. We don't have this problem in Europe. But you know why Europe hates the gospel? For the same reason Brazil hates the gospel. For the same reason America hates the gospel. Because the true Christianity, the true preaching of the gospel, you will stand and say to them, you are wrong. And this is the biggest crime in our days. We are not allowed to say that someone is wrong or their lifestyle is wrong or there's a sin in their lives. No. That's why they hate it. They don't want to listen to it. They don't want to hear this kind of message. They don't want to hear there's a judgment coming. They don't want to hear there's a wrath of the Lamb and God's coming. The judgment day is real. They don't want to listen to it. Just go for John 3, 16 and stop there. Don't read the rest. Don't share the whole counsel of God. 
That's why they hate it. Because when, when they are together, their conscience is not afflicted for nothing. And then a preacher or someone just shows up and says, this is wrong. And they hate it. Or when we start to share the gospel. And the Holy Spirit starts to work in their minds and hearts. And they hate it. They don't want to listen. Because John 3, 19, Jesus said, The old deeds of men are evil. Because like I was preaching last week, there's something evil inside of a human being and a human heart called sin. We don't want to listen nothing against our sin. Sometimes we enjoy our sins. That's why the word hate. That's why we live under persecution. They will make jokes on you. If your kids are going to school and if your kids want to remain faithful for the values and principles of the gospel, they will face opposition. That's why the young people, when they go to university, after the second year, they are leaving behind and, and, and giving up of their faith because they look for acceptance. They start to agree and to behave and to speak like the others do. In Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus said, because of me, not because you deserve it. It's because of me. Rejoice. And be glad. It's another level. It's maturity. It's to be glad to suffer because of his name. What's our suffering because of his name? Yeah. Oh, I'm under persecution in my company. I cannot... Really? Is this persecution? Be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. Not here. Not recognition here. Not lots of friends here. Not lots of money here. Not every door is open here, but in heaven. This is our problem. We are very rooted here. Or 90% of our time is planning, spending time and money and energy and everything about here. We don't dream with heaven anymore. We don't listen or we don't put our hopes anymore. It's just because it's, it's how life is. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Wow! Jesus is... It's putting me and you in the same level of those guys in the past. Blessed are you when they lie about you, when they try to destroy your reputation. The church of Jesus Christ always will come from the tribulations, always will be hated, always will be persecuted. But then, the answer of that elder to John, he keeps saying, These, uh, verse 14, Revelation, uh, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation, comma, they have washed their robes and made them white 
and the blood of the Lamb. Oh, I love this. Is a church, people of God, suffering tribulation, persecution, and different times and eras and different centuries. In our moment, 21st century, you have another kind of battles against the culture, against all of this. We are fighting, we have our fights, but also is a church washed in the blood of the Lamb. Wow, I remember, I missed this kind of sermon. When I was a kid, I used to preach more about the power of the blood. About the, the power of the blood to wash away all my sins and your sins. Why this is so important? Because maybe right now here, and if you're looking at this camera, or here today, or later on this week, I don't know. Maybe we have people among us guilty, who doesn't feel forgiven, who cannot forgive themselves because of their past, because of some sin. But there is power in the blood of Jesus to wash away the sins. The only sin that cannot be washed by the, the blood of Jesus is the unconfessed sin. It's that sin that I still keep in my heart. It's the sin that there is no broken heart over the sin. It's the sin that I try to not face it, to not deal with, to not bring to God's presence. Maybe you're talking with people here has sins unconfessed in their hearts and minds. Tomorrow is Monday. We are going to, we are about to start a new week. You can start your week in a different way. Why to not come to Jesus with this sin? I remember once a lady, she was feeling guilty because of one abortion in her life. After 10 years, he was still feeling guilty. He could forgive herself. I remember to talk with people, always failing the same kind of sin every, every week. But trying to avoid to talk about this. Trying to not deal with, not open the heart for it. And there are some kind of sins that we need to be really, really sincere to admit before God in prayer. That's why sometimes we enjoy that kind of prayer very shallow. I don't need to visit my soul. Because when I'm very near to the light, I can see my spots. I can see my dirty. And I don't like to see my dirty. That's why I never stop. I'm always busy doing something. Because if I stop, I look to myself. I don't like to see what's inside. Pride, selfish, sins. But this church here is washed. Did you come here this morning to meet God? A holy God? Or just to listen to another sermon? Did you come here to, to bring your whole life, your fullness, your, your life, your history, your heart, your mind before a holy God? The Bible says that His Holiness is like a consuming fire. We are talking about this God. To come and to leave this building in white robes. With no condemnation. Clean. A new beginning. Because of the blood. Because of the cross. 
the Romans, they killed hundreds of people on the cross. But Jesus was different. He was paying for your my sin. And this church here, they were washed in the blood of Jesus. He's talking in a church with holiness. My friend, this is your opportunity this morning. To bring to Jesus your sins. And to receive forgiveness of your sins because of the cross. Because of the cross we are here this morning. Verse 15, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. First, where does this church come from? The great tribulation. Second, what's the identity of this church? It's washed in the blood of Jesus. There's no hidden stuffs. They are washed in the blood. They are clean. They are uh, in the white robes. Third, what's their mission? What they do? Okay. What's the point here? First, they worship Jesus. They are before the throne. And you know, my biggest problem to worship Jesus is that all the good things who carry the name of Jesus in it. Let me explain. Do you remember Luke chapter 2 when Joseph and Mary, they came to Jerusalem? Every year in Jerusalem, they had that feast, the Passover, every Jewish family, they used to come to Jerusalem for this big celebration, many, many days, seeing relatives, drinking, eating, uh, and, and music. It was a great, great feast. Joseph and Mary, they were there. Jesus was just a boy, 12 years old. And they were way back. And, and those days, they used to travel in the big groups, families and relatives, because the roads are kind of dangerous. Oh, where is Jesus? Did you see him? Oh, I think. If, if you read later on from verse 41, Luke chapter 2, you see Mary and Joseph, they were, okay, maybe they are, uh, he's with the, the cousins or, or relatives or playing or playing football with the boys. I don't know. Oh, no, they, they have football. <laughs> okay. He's playing around with the kids. Uh, uh, that's fine. After the whole day walking, oh, yeah, he's not here. Let's come back. You know, what's my problem to worship Jesus? Because even doing good stuff for Jesus, I get distracted with all the feasts, all the good things, but I miss Jesus from the center. Jesus is not the center anymore. I can worship the denomination, the history of my church, mainly church with a beautiful beginning, or the beginning of the Holy Spirit movement. We worship our past or the building, or my ministry, or my theology, or Bible reading, all good things with no Jesus. I can just miss him. Oh, he's not the center anymore. And this church, they are, they are worship Jesus. Jesus is the center of the church. It's not their gifts, their talents, their money, their plans, their vision, or, or their vision for the future, or, okay, let's reach... Crawley with the gospel and start to make many plans. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus in your family? Where is Jesus in my daily life? Where is the worship of Jesus in my heart? Where is he? He's the center. The lamb is in the center of the throne. And they worship him. Not all the things with his name. Him, not the theology. Him, not the church. Him, not the history. Jesus. As the center of their worship. What's their mission? To worship 
Jesus. There's many churches where Jesus is not part of that church anymore. And, and they're big churches. And they're great churches, but Jesus is not there. If you come back to the book of Revelation, there is a church where Jesus is knocking the door of the church. He's outside. They worship Jesus. But I like this word here in verse uh, 15. Before the throne of God and serve Him. There's a willing to serve in your heart. They serve Him. They serve Jesus. Christians should serve. I love the name of this in English because in Portuguese my language is another name. Service. The root word is to serve Him. To give to Him. Not to take from Him. To bring to Him. To serve Him. To serve. The danger in our culture is, okay, if you want to make the church grow, we can make people just to be consumers of service. With a good worship and a great preacher and a lots of toys and kids' church and a huge car parking and free food, we'll have lots of people. Consumers, 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 like a restaurant. Okay, and, and, and the leadership just like a manager is trying to please the people all the time. Because if they don't please the people all the time, they change for another restaurant. And we need, we need their money to make the machine work. Consumers. Not servants. And this is sad. We have thousands of thousands of believers as a consumers of services, preachers, all Bible stuff, gospel thing, and, and, and apps and everything. But if you need someone to help to serve, oh, it's tough. It's tough to find people. I was talking this last week with Rafael, who came to visit us. You saw him from Portugal. It's so hard to raise sponsors to help to plant church because everybody just wants to consume, not to give. It's so hard to, to put together people. Okay, who can give their time, talent, time, talent, skills, money to serve? It's hard to find. Because in our culture, at the end, at the end of this service, we can take our cars, go to the McDonald's, again, the McDonald's, and the drive, what's the name, drive through? Yeah, in order, and, and, and we'll go home, and we watch Netflix just pressing one button. Everything is to serve us. Everything, we, you are consumers of life, or food, entertainment, everything. And then we have the same behavior sometimes for church. Oh, what can I get from the church? A good sermon, a good worship, a few goosebumps, and then that's it. <laughs> and we have this kind of mindset as a consumers. I was reading a survey. survey. Uh, those who spend time and money only with themselves, after a few years, they fall in the big trap of uh, crisis of dissatisfaction. Where the life, there is no purpose. Where the life, there is nothing more than this everyday life. Because they are not serving someone. They worship Jesus. And they serve Him. I want to spend all the days of my life into the very end serving Him. It's an honor to serve Him. 
It's a privilege to serve him. Another day, I was with my twins at home, and we were gathering to have a worship time at home or service at home, do this with our kids. One of the girls, I don't tell the name, one of the girls was at a big face like this. And I said to her, hey, Jesus is not begging you to serve him. Jesus is not, oh, please, could you read the Bible? No. It's your privilege to serve him. It's what brings joy, hope, meaning, purpose to your life. This church, we are trying to serve God's people, but we are trying to serve Jesus Christ. And if to serve Jesus Christ, I need sometimes feel offended by his word. I will feel offended by his word. I want to serve him. I want to give you everything. Everything. All my days to him. For him. All the glory. All my time. Everything. My brain. My, my disposition. My ideas. Creativity. To him. It's a privilege. They serve Jesus. And now we want to pray. And before you pray, I want to ask you please to stand. I want to read the last verses and call the worship guys here. And we're going to pray. They had amazing words of worship here in verse 15, if you keep reading. He who sits on the throne. Look, the promises for this church. Look, the promises. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. The idea here is the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the God's glory. Wow, I need this. Never again will they hunger or thirst. What's the thirst of your soul? Maybe you don't have joy anymore, hope anymore, faith anymore. You cannot confess because we are in the church. We just confess polite sins. The best place to be disguised of your wounds or sorrows is the church. Because everybody take for granted. Everybody think, oh, he's fine. She's fine. No thirst anymore. No hunger anymore. He'll shelter them. And he keeps saying, saying, verse 17, for the lamb, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. I want to invite you to close your eyes for a second. The lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them. Oh Lord, please lead me to springs of living water. And God, not the pastor, the priest, or the angel, God will, not maybe, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I want to ask to Ian to sing the next song, and then we will be praying. While we are singing, bring to Jesus your sorrows, your sins, your tears, your injustice, Bring to Jesus, God won't wipe away. Let's sing.